Greetings and welcome to the 10th episode of DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and I've got more of a lighthearted episode for you guys tonight. My friend Buddy Reno, who I've been pretty much best pals with since, well, about the year 2000, right around there. So a solid 22-year friendship is going to be on display for this episode of the podcast. And we're talking about one of our favorite albums of all time, Drawing Black Lines, and how this album really is the glue that has held our friendship together over these 22 years. So I'm going to go ahead and get into it. like my 10th episode and I don't even know what to say. Tonight, or at whatever time you're listening, I'm not going to say tune in again like I keep saying, but I've got Buddy here. You guys know Buddy from the Discord server and episodes of Discography Discussion. Yep, very, very few. We've only been on a handful out of how many you guys did? Almost 300? Yeah, something like, yeah, real something far. like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but you're on the Nodes episode. <laughs> you know, and the Nodes episode is... is the greatest episode of discography discussion ever so of course you know everybody loves nodes actually i can't even really remember the nodes episode i think we talked about the self-titled like a lot we did we we talked about it almost too much probably well in the spirit of talking about a record too much i knew before we even started this podcast that me and buddy were going to be the ones to sit down and talk about drawing black lines by project 86 because i think largely that was one of the most formative records that we had ever really i mean like if you if you can trace our friendship back you trace that timeline where everything really bubbles together and and converges it's drawing black lines so in the last episode i was talking about how i got into like a christian group in high school that was like not like the old church that i went to and that group was intimidating at first you know first going in there because like i'm a guy that listens to predominantly like new metal i think at that time so it was like a little bit of metallica who's i know not new metal don't at me but it was like stuff like metallica limp biscuit corn uh mud vein you know like that sort of stuff and i'm coming into this christian group where they're all listening to like uh reliant k or what were some other bands buddy do you remember what bands the kids in the group listened to we were kind of self-absorbed so yeah like pop punk was really popular at that time and so like reliant k was huge like i can't think of a whole lot of like juliana theory yeah. uh that was huge i know like it starts Super getting tones. into like yep it starts getting into like uh less christian territory and into like secular stuff you know with like uh oh gosh i can't remember that going going down i don't Going sugar going down. I don't remember what that band is. Oh, like, I can sing Boy? the chorus. Yeah, Fall Out Boy. I can, I can yeah, sing that yeah. chorus in my head, but I can't even put a name to it. Um, yeah, like that was huge. You know, it was all bands of that ilk. Uh, you know, was like really popular within the that little subgenre of people. Yeah, yeah, and it was weird because I remember sort of coming in and being like, man, like I'm not going to be able to identify with these people in a musical sense. Yeah, you know, because they're they're not going to understand. They're they're not going to understand why their favorite song is about, you know, going to the rock show, and and my favorite song is called Death Blooms. You know what I mean? So it's it's really hard 
to sort of open a conversation like that, but one of the first questions anybody asks you when you're a teenager and you're entering a new group is, oh, well, what kind of music do you like? You know, and back then I probably said something stupid. Like, I like technical death metal, like Mudvayne, you know, <laughs> uh, like with no irony on my face at all, like, because that's what it was, man. He screams a lot, so that, that's death metal, right? Exactly. But I remember Buddy and Will. Will was the guy I mentioned in the last episode who gave me the Hammer God CD. I don't know if he gave it to me as much as he let me borrow it and I never gave it back. Probably a bit of both. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this, Will, I, I still have your Hammer God CD. And no, you can't have it back. It's, <laughs> it's been too long. I'm, I'm just going to I'm just gonna keep it. It is now uh, owned by Dan Terry. It is forever. I remember Buddy sort of scoping me out. I was sitting on the couch. Yeah, and you were you were sitting in the corner because we were we were all in we yeah, preface, we were we would all meet at Will's parents' house because that's where we had this meeting like every Thursday night. And yeah, I was sitting on the couch and you had just come and wearing some black shirt, I don't remember what it was. You had them big triangle pants because we were me and you both were in a Jinkos back then, you know. And you're sitting there on the on the floor and you're kind of rocking like back and forth. I remember you used to do that a lot. And I don't know. I think that fascinated me. I was like, why is he sitting there just rocking back and forth? Yeah, because I rock, you know. Exactly. It's in your blood, man. I think it was a nervous tick that I had where if I was uncomfortable, I was rocking. I probably didn't even know I was doing it until you pointed that out to me, which I think is one of the first things that you even said was like, I I hey, uh, you uh, thinking about a song or something or you... What are you rocking back and forth for, weirdo? You know, you, you didn't say weirdo. But I remember <laughs> we started talking about music, and you were like, yeah, man, like, Deftones is super cool. And, you know, like, that sort of stuff. And you, the first thing that you asked me is, like, what kind of bands are you into? And I'm like, oh, God, this is it. This is the yeah. question. Because you're sitting here thinking, oh, man, this kid listens to friggin' Michael Sweet or something or whoever, CCM. If you were listening to Michael Sweet, then then that would have been, like, cool I was. I at least had some points there because that, that's Striper. <laughs> right, right. So I remember being like really nervous and I think I like I think I threw out corn. I was like I like corn cuz like a lot of people liked corn. Let's not forget our boys in Lincoln Park, you know. They were really big at that time and I remember like being really nervous and you you said to me you're like, "Yeah, I used to listen to tons of secular music too." And I remember being like, I, "What is secular music?" You know. <laughs> like cuz as far as I know, like there's there's music that's, there's music that's music. And like I knew what I knew what Christian bands were. But I didn't know that there was a word for bands that weren't Christian. You know, <laughs> like like yeah. like there there was bands and then there was Christian bands, and so I didn't I didn't necessarily know the lingo of like oh okay well so this is uh, this is secular. And I remember being like I don't know man I haven't really heard any Christian bands that are as good as Slipknot or as good as Linkin Park. And I remember you being like oh dude hold on. And then so like you invited me to a coffee shop. Yeah. And we went to the coffee shop and we played cards. I don't remember what card game it was. I think we were playing oh. War or something. That or maybe we were trying to play. I think we always called it Egyptian Rat Screw, but it was throughout the That's cards right. That's we, right. Yeah. You were teaching me how to play the game and I wasn't yeah. paying attention. Because like um, everyone and their brother was playing it for some reason. Probably because yeah, we all got yeah. to smack each other when we. Egyptian you know. Rat. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I do remember that. I don't remember how to play it. I don't listen very well. <laughs> we also played chess that night too because we got bored of the of the card game we played a lot of chess because there was all this stuff and drank copious amounts of coffee and yeah i started telling you about project 86 and you know, i was like dude you know these guys are awesome 
And, you know, because back then, like every every band that you came out with, right, you know, so this kind of goes back to like the secular music thing, like everybody was like, oh, yeah, well, if you like Linkin Park, then you need to listen to 38th Parallel, you know, because they're all trying to come up with these alternatives to to like what was in the secular market. So here's the Christian version of that, you know, and no, none of them were ever as as good, but nobody could put like a, a pigeonhole onto Project 86 with drawing black lines. You know, they were just like, well, just check this one out because this one's awesome. You know, nobody could put that like categorization on them. And that was why probably why it stuck in my head and I brought it up to you. Yeah. And I think that because I remember you burned me a copy of it. Sorry, Schwab. So I've actually bought three copies of drawing black lines since then. But it is funny that because I kept giving it to people like, yeah. <laughs> Like, I should have thought to burn copies of it instead of giving my copy away, but sometimes I'd be somewhere, I'd be like, oh my god, you gotta hear this record, you know, and here's, oh no, just just take it, right? But it's probably guilt from not returning Will's Hammer God CD. Yeah, I remember remember getting that disc, and we didn't listen to it that night, because the funny thing about that night at the coffee house was that it was the first time we ever hung out, like, outside of a group, like, just us hanging out. I remember there were bands playing. I think there was a band playing that night called Empty Grave, who was like a like a rap core type of thing, because it was a Christian coffee house, because of course it was. There was all these bands playing. And I remember what's what's interesting about those bands is I would love to see a list of what bands were playing that night. Because we weren't paying attention to them at all. Yeah. I mean they were it was just background noise. Like we were just there to hang out. But I remember there were dudes like Zayo screaming, you know, on stage and, and like playing, you know. I mean, I don't necessarily think the metalcore breakdown as we know it today existed at that time, but there were bands doing stuff very similar to that behind us. And we're not paying attention to it at all. All we're talking about is this record drawing black lines. So I left the coffee shop that night and I got home and I listened to the record on my waterbed, you know, in my, in my little Sony Discman. And it absolutely blew my mind because like, yeah, I'm not here to say that, like, Project 86 was, like, heavier than Mudvayne or heavier than Slipknot. Like, I'd heard stuff like Slayer and stuff like that before. Yeah. So it's not that it was heavy, but it was the it was the way it was heavy, the type of aggression. Because one thing that I really wasn't too familiar with at that time was hardcore. You know, like, what is what, we, what I would come to know later as being hardcore, Project 86 was doing that on drawing black lines but it had sort of this like sheen i think it got it got lumped in with like a lot of new metal type of stuff yeah but like you were saying earlier it's not really new metal it's more of like a hardcore like post hardcore mix like not all that different than at the drive-in but just with heavier with heavier vocals you know and obviously just an absolute wall of guitar noise i mean just a thick brick wall of guitar and i remember the first thing i noticed about it was Number one, the bass. Oh, yeah. The bass was thick and chunky. Oh, my God. It's like a chunky soup. It's one of the most unique bass sounds I've ever heard. And it's basically what starts the album. Yeah. I mean, what album at the time just like punches you in the face with such a dissonant, you know, tone right at the outset? You know, lots of bands don't do that kind of thing. It was real dirty sounding, you know, and especially like all the guitar sounds, you know, uh, even the bass later, like there's just different parts on different songs, like on the end of PS and the end of 23 where it just gets real crunchy and just super distorted and just basically becomes like crazy static, but it sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, it literally sounds like the equipment destroyed itself at the end of the record. And 
the first thing I noticed was the bass, then the wall of guitars, and then Schwab's voice. His delivery was unreal. Like, it wasn't, like, it wasn't whiny at all. There's really no, I mean, well, there, okay, so there are clean vocals on John Black Lines, but they're not done by Schwab. Yeah. It would be several albums later before he started, like, really dipping into the clean vocals pool. Or actually, really, on the next, on Truthless Heroes, I think he did a little bit more. But on this record, it is just straight-up aggressive in your face. And I think that is really what solidified for me that, like, yeah, this band has no equivalent. Like, they, they literally, if you listen to Drawing Black Line and you like it, you will not find it anywhere else. Like, you will literally only find it on that record. And I think that that was kind of interesting and super formative because the concept of a band being unique was something of a new idea for me at that time. Because, you know, again, you know, it wasn't just Buddy trying to feed me Christian bands. You know, oh, this sounds like this, this sounds like that, you know. But it was a lot of different people. But I remember your phrasing for Project 86 was just like, this doesn't sound like anybody. Yeah. You can't really, you know. And I remember trying to make comparisons for like what we thought his voice sounded like. I remember at one point I said Papa Roach, but that was kind of off the mark. And then I was like, I don't know, kind of like that guy in Saliva, but like angrier. And, you know, and I was like, no, it's just, I don't know. Like it, it just sounds like Project 86. And it's funny because when I first heard Supertones, I was like, oh, this is like dumb Project 86, you know, <laughs> no offense to Supertones, but like, I, yeah, I didn't know anything about it. It's like, somebody's like, oh, if you like that, they'd heard his voice. I did something about these guys from like Orange County. They don't all sound the same or anything, but they, they have a similar delivery. Yeah. And that's about as close as I could really get to it. But what blew my mind about this record was how not happy it sounded. Yeah. You know, because you'd have those Christian bands before that would start off heavy, and then the heavy part drops away, and then it's just like all worship music for the rest of the album. Looking at you, Skillet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, at the time, you know, I became a Christian in like, oh gosh, was it 99, I think? I can't remember, but it was before this album came out, actually. And, you know, like, so the heaviest thing I'd, have, I'd heard at that point from a Christian band was Skillet. And, you know, I think POD hadn't quite shown itself up yet, but that still wasn't like exactly what I was looking for because it still had some happy sounds. You know, it was still mostly like rap, you know, kind of, you know, vocal stylings. But otherwise, you know, you become a Christian. And of course, what's what's the thing that every new Christian does to get rid of all their secular stuff? Right. You know, so yeah, because yeah, you were all Christian CDs when we met. Yeah, exactly. Of course. So like, of course, I did that. So, you know, get rid of my Metallica, get rid of, you know, other things. But then I'm like man, Skillet's like the heaviest thing. And I'm like, I got to listen to Amy Grant or something. Like there's all I can find is like CCM stuff. And then, you know, I pull open Napster because that's what you did in the, in the 2000s, you know, and you, I end up, I don't even remember how I found searching it. I think, I think what you did was you would find a user and then you would look through what they've shared. And I randomly grabbed like three tracks. I grabbed a, uh, rebuttal and pipe dream from their self-titled album and then play on from drawing black lines and you know i was instantly like blown away because i was like oh this is this is christian music but it's angry and it's driving and it you know this is you know you'd be hard pressed to play this for someone that was like a you know elder at a church or whatever and be like oh they're talking about god here and then they're like no they are not you know, it's like, no, dude, this is this is legit stuff. 
Yeah, my dad was like that whenever he heard me listening to Drawing Black Lines, you know, in our basement. We used to have a, we had a family computer that was like in the basement, but like anybody could just walk up on you when you're on the computer. I remember and, that. Yeah, so I'd be listening to, I'd be listening to something like Project 86. And at, at that point, my parents had sort of loosened up, but then they sort of got a little bit tighter again when I started bringing home these types of records. You know, the Zayo conversation is still very burned <laughs> into my mind from that time period. But, I mean, we must have been, what, 16? Yeah. 16, 15, 17? 16. Yeah. Pro- yeah, yeah, you're right. You're probably younger than that. And I remember hearing Set Me Up, and Set Me Up was one of the first songs that I really related to. And a lot of it is because, and we'll get into this at some point in this conversation, the level of misheard lyrics on this record is astronomical in comparison to other bands. And Set Me Up was a song that I interpreted. See, I got I got picked on in school really bad because, like, when I was in elementary school especially, because during elementary school this sort of overlaps with, like, all the church stuff. Yeah. And so I was a weird kid, weirder than I would normally otherwise have been because I didn't know who the bad guy was on Power Rangers that week. I didn't know what bands were cool. I didn't know what music was cool. And I sort of just kept to myself and that just makes you an absolute target, especially in the late 90s. It makes an absolute target out of you, and people pick on you relentlessly. And Set Me Up like was one of the first songs that I heard that I was like, this song is speaking to me. You know, yeah. um, where, where he's, he's like just in and going on and on and on about like, you're no better than me, you're no better than me. And I mean... That song sort of made me feel like a little bit empowered. Like you ever you ever listen to a song and it like makes you feel invincible? Yeah, for sure. Like it makes you it makes you feel and I'm not just talking about invincible by skillet, because that was about how God's invincible and not not you. And that album was not on time for me. <laughs> right. But yeah, whenever I'm reading the lyrics of the song, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read them here, but basically, you know, he's talking. It it sounds to me like he's talking about like another band, like shit talking Project Eighty Six or or him, or something yeah. like that. And that and that was kind of that was kind of his response. So yeah, I used to think he was saying, "On the field, you rejected me. On the field, you rejected me." And it just made me think like schoolyard, right? Like we're on the field at gym class playing yeah. soccer or something. <laughs> And you didn't pick me for your team. Like, it seems so stupid because, like, you have to understand, I hadn't really lived much of a life yet by then. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and, and I think that that is why records like this are such good gateways to deeper thoughts. Because it, this is one of the first records that I remember where I took what I was hearing and actually related it to my personal life. Yeah. In a way that I hadn't really done before. Because before it was just like, how rad does this band sound? Yeah. Or how cool does this sound? Or how, how catchy is this? You know, like music will create this feeling in you. But when you're that young, you don't really have a way of defining what that feeling is or or what it means. Yeah, music is still kind of forming, you know, like it's still kind of forming your psyche. And it comes at a time when, you know, you're learning a ton, you're, you're really impressionable. And, you know, I think that's why like a lot of, you know, people in high school, you know, we end up getting defined by our music choices, you know, even for a, even if it's just for a time, you know, there's the goth kids, the hardcore kids, the preppy pop punk kids, you know, and we end up like latching onto these things because it kind of is this way to give yourself an identity when you haven't really formed your own identity yet. 
I was debating on whether I was going to talk about how metal music seems to make people more confident, confident. And also like there's like a reason I feel like that metalheads get elitist, right? Because the whole thing about, you know, metal is that there's always this subgenre of people, you know, that are metal elitists and they gatekeep, you know, and why is that? Because you don't see techno people who listen to techno or goth music. I mean, maybe they do, but I, I have not seen it. You know, <laughs> they gatekeep. Do. I would have. Yeah, maybe maybe that is. So maybe that just completely invalidates what I was about to say. But no, it's it's fine. That's actually good because the whole elitism thing. You know, again, this sort of ties back to the last episode because I was talking about how like in being a fan of obscure Christian music. It was like an additional layer of elitism, you know, because yeah. especially when we were listening to Drawing Black Lines, and it's funny because like that record is probably the band's most successful record, you know, during, you know, I don't want to say their heyday because like the records that came out after that were really good too yeah. um, and did well too. They were on bigger label, but Drawing Black Lines was like wildfire. If you take every town in America and there's still only like two people in there, you know, there, there's a me and buddy equivalent for every town that's still a really successful record like that's still a very well-known sort of thing but at the time in the infancy of the internet you know like you're talking about napster like you know as far as like how far back this is i mean we're talking like 22 something years ago yeah and music was not shareable the way that it is now on that level so to us we were the only people that knew about this band right yeah it was you like know? finding a diamond in the rough and you know, you've got a secret and you're the it's like that meme. You're the guy sitting in the corner, you know, while everybody else is at the party and you're going, they don't know that I listen to Project 86. <laughs> yeah, they, they probably don't even know that I listen to Chimes on the way over here, you know, like <laughs> and that really just always blew me away about this record, because this is the first time that I felt like that, because I remember us saying like making ludicrous statements about this album. Of course. Because we didn't know anything. We would be all, some guy would be like, yeah, I'm really into Mushroomhead. We'd be like, Mushroomhead sucks. <laughs> you need to go listen to Drawing Black Lines by Project 86. And then they're looking at us like, you just said a bunch of words, and I don't remember what they were, but you seem very, like, confident about it. So maybe I'll check them out. I don't know if anybody ever checked it out after I acted like that. Yeah, who knows? Them. But uh, it was almost know, like we knew it would be shock value because it'd be hilarious if we said it that way. Yeah, and like sometimes we would be all like, "Yeah, this Christian band Project Eighty Six is heavier than than Mudvayne," you know, yeah. which is like an objectively untrue statement. But <laughs> but at the same time, it was really because we hadn't been exposed to that much music, and that's not me trying to say that Drawing Black Lines is like some basic bro album that we liked for no reason. There's plenty of reason that we will get into about why this record is so good, but. We would make those statements because we were only really exposed to like a few bands at that time. It was like you had P.O.D. who were like the reigning champions of that sort of like edgy Christian music thing. Yeah. And they were the first band that had crossed over. So in our minds, because Project 86 was just a, a hair smaller than P.O.D., they were the underground band. I mean, I caught myself even if people were like, yeah, I listened to Southtown by P.O.D. I'd be like, that's great. That record's garbage. 
you need to go. Even though I didn't think it was garbage, I had it in yeah. my CD case, just like every other kid that went to youth group. You know, like. But we needed to feel some semblance of exclusivity. We needed know? to feel powerful. We we yeah. needed people to understand. And I think the reason we felt that way was because Project Eighty Six was heavy in a different way than I think most people were used to. So we sort of interpreted that as this is like that real shit, yeah. you know, and and other people don't know. You know, and not to mention, like, not even just musically, like, you know, at that time, like you, you mentioned, you know, you were picked on, you know, as a kid too, right? You know, I got picked on a bit too. You know, it was a little bit less when I went to high school, but I, like you, I also kept to myself. Will was kind of the only guy that, you know, like pulled me out of the funk and was like, hey, you want to be my friend? And I was like, sure, I guess. But you get into these, these modes where, you know, you're, you're formative going through high school and you feel a certain way. And then this music comes along and makes you feel not that way, or it enhances that feeling that you're feeling, you know, with being like rejected. And, but I think on, like, on the field, I, on the field, you rejected me. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, if you, you think about like a lot of these songs, you know, start with like, they have some powerful language in them. Like, you, you know, like Stein's theme starts out with its chorus being, you hate us because we'll never go away, you know, and that gives you a feeling of power, of validation that, you know, you're looking for because these other people, they reject you and push you away. They don't want to be around you. You're annoying. And this music is telling you, you know, something otherwise. And I wonder if that's also how, you know, you kind of, we kind of get into like elitism and gatekeeping because it gives you a feeling of power because you want that power. Because you want to feel like the one that's in control of your destiny. And I mean, I get real weird, real deep right here. But, you know, it's almost like that feeling of uh, vindication that you're not what they say you are. And this music is telling you that. And so you latch onto that super hard. And so everything else has to suck because this is what is real. Right. And the other stuff didn't make you feel the way that this made you feel. You know? Exactly. And it's... It's hard because obviously like now when I like a band, I do a podcast about them or <laughs> I tell everyone, I tell everyone that'll listen, dude, this is really, really, really good. And eventually I ended up dropping the language of like, that sucks. Listen to this, you know, mm -hmm. because that's just, I don't know, like anybody that's like, wow, I can't believe you guys acted like that. Like, just imagine what kind of person you were when you were 15, you know, like yeah. it just, it, it kind of just is what it is. But with Drawing Black Lines, the reason why it's still so relevant today day to me is because it sounds sonically unique still yeah like that feeling of power and i'm not going to be elitist about it but there's some kind of weird compression on schwab's vocals that make them make it pop almost as if it's like a bass instrument you know like it's, <laughs> it's it, like it's actually you know part of the rhythm section you know, we used to joke that Schwab's voice was just another rhythmic instrument. Yeah. And especially his, his delivery in songs like like Set Me Up, One-Armed Man, Stein's Theme for sure, A Toast of My Former Self. Those moments where he would sort of go off script and just start going really, 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 really fast. I think I liked that because it reminded me a little bit of like Slipknot, like Corey Taylor's delivery where he, he did, you know, like a similar sort of thing. That moment of loss of control where what you're saying is so much more important than how you're saying it. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things where the enjoyment lies in the imperfection of it. Yeah. But then you also have songs like Sad Machines and like Me Against Me or Chapter 2 that are very like, I don't want to say produced because they're all still sort of heavy as balls types of songs. Mm -hmm. but they're a little bit more structured. 
Yeah, there's more of that verse chorus like here we're doing the thing. Yeah, like Sad Machine's probably the the biggest example of that where it's really 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 pleasant to listen to and you can sort of predict what's going to happen next when you're listening to it and that's like very pleasing, you know, to yeah. your brain. But then on the other side of the coin, you've got Set Me Up, which is just a complete onslaught of just vocals <laughs> and guitar. Yeah. And like, I mean, I've never seen a guy throw so many words into a single measure in my <laughs> life and the way that he does it. You know, I mean, dude, I, I mean, I'm exhausted just thinking about how hard that sort of vocal delivery was and, and how he, he just pulled it off and nailed it. You know, and I did eventually get to watch the live stream of Drawing Black Lines from 2020. And he still is able to do that without missing a beat. Which and is just, awesome, you know, 20 years later. Yeah, that just, I mean, I was pretty pretty floored by that. And one aspect of this record that I don't think we've talked about yet is that there is also that sort of balance of, you know, sugar and vinegar, mm -hmm. you know, of because you, you still have like the clean sung chorus on One Arm Man even though it's really just a line, right? Like, it's not a full-on... Like, they don't go, like, full Demon Hunter on us or anything. But, I mean, yeah. it's just, like, a single-sung line, but it gives it that, like, sort of cleanliness. I think that really the reason people were like, oh, yeah, this band is new metal, beyond just them being heavy, was because of that clean-sung vocal was very prominent in new metal at the time. Yeah. Because, like, you go back and look at the new metal bands from, like, 98 to, to 2000 and they were still a little bit more rough around the edges it was more about like rapping and scratching and having like a dirty tone but by the time we were cognizant of new metal you know chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water was like the most popular album on earth right and so yeah. you, were, you, you were looking at new metal as more the new rock more so than the new metal it had a lot less edge to it or it was like faux edge you know because we say fuck like 50 million times on a song right i mean hot dogs well hot dog is certainly a song you can go listen to yeah <laughs> that is one of the tracks of music out there limp i mean don't get me wrong i got some love for limp biscuit for sure <laughs> just that song is not exactly their high point but like there's something about just a young guy that's like 20 ish giving that clean boat like that just that uninterrupted clean vocal like that was the that was the secret sauce for us and we looked for mm -hmm. that yeah we wanted that mixture of we wanted the the screaming because we were ready for some of it but we needed it to not be always present you know we needed that mixture and i feel like sad machines is a good example of that mixture because you know like even the chorus has that mixture of randy singing now we lie awake and then andrew you know, screaming over it or yelling, rapping thing, whatever he's kind of doing. He kind of mixed it up a lot, which gave you a lot of different flavors of, you know, vocals on the record because of that. And that made it feel layered to us and sonically interesting. It was. And like, what's interesting about drawing black lines is that despite everything we said at the beginning about like it being super unique and you were never going to find it in anywhere else, that wasn't for lack of trying, man. Yeah. We were trying to find something like that for the longest time. Yeah, Drawing Black Lines started like a quest. We were on we were on a tear for a couple of years trying to just find heavier and heavier and heavier bands. It ended up truly being that gateway band for both of us because it ignited a passion for like this really heavy driving music. And at some point we started dropping those clean vocals because you started finding more and more stuff but it didn't have all the elements exactly. I remember we'd go on godcore.com 
That was the big, <laughs> that was the website that I found. Uh, and this is back when I was in, it was either during 56K days of like having to dial in from AOL or maybe it was a combination of both because I know we got DSL a little bit later. But the thing about Godcore was one of the very first websites that had actual like music clips. Yeah. And what, what blew me away is that I was like, buddy, we found it. This is this has every Christian heavy band ever that has ever existed. <laughs> it's interesting because that was the first time I was ever introduced to like actual genre names. You know, like the, the first black metal I ever heard was unblack metal. Yeah. You know, and and death there was death metal, you know, Christian death metal, and then metalcore, which was a term I didn't really know yet. And I remember us checking out all these bands because of course they had like a for fans of whatever. Yeah, and that was kind of how we figured out a lot of stuff was, oh, well, they sound similar to this, so let's look at this. Because it took, like, minutes to download just a 30-second clip. Yeah, and I remember, too, that there was... Some of the comparisons were, were downright hilarious. Like, if you're a fan of Deftones, then you should check out Ludacris, right? If you're a fan of Slipknot, check out Project 86, you know? If you're a fan of Lincoln Park, check out POD. If you're a fan of if you're a fan of Lincoln Park and POD, check out 38th Parallel. If you're a fan of POD, check out Justified. You know, like yeah. all of these all of these sort of comparisons. Yeah, they were weird comparisons because there was always some sort of like cosmetic similarity in the sound, right? And I remember us listening to those bands and getting like really really disheartened. The only other band I can think of that we championed to the same level as we did Project 86 was Travail. You know, mm -hmm. I remember us being like, oh, yeah, this, you know, Drawing Black Lines and, and Travail, Beautiful Loneliness. Those are the only two good, you know, records. And that was kind of our gateway into, like, hardcore because that had some hardcore overtones to it. Travail, I remember Travail was a hard sell because they didn't have the clean vocals. Mm -hmm. It was literally a guy screaming and sometimes, like, rapping. So it was it was different you know, in a way. But with Drawing Black Lines, what's interesting is that we never found it, but we were always looking for that, like, that clean vocal and scream vocal dynamic. But if we had just, like, cooled our jets for a couple of years, we would have gotten Demon Hunter, like, two years later, <laughs> you know. And then we would have been happy as clams. We would have been like, oh, cool, yeah, like, Demon Hunter would still be our favorite band, 10 out of 10 would recommend, you know, I, I like Demon Hunter. But <laughs> but the thing is, is that even then, because, like, we, we took the parts that we liked out of Drawing Black Lines, and this is why you're right about it being really a gateway record for us, is even once we found music that was that satisfied us on that level like i think for me it was like zeo liberate like once i heard that i was sort of done with that kind of music yeah you know just sort of leaving it behind but you know i think for you buddy it was soul embraced was, yeah. was sort of your your like okay because you stayed on the train of no it's gotta have it's gotta have an equal amount not an equal amount but it has to have screaming but it also has to have like a melodic side in order yeah. to be interesting and then it wasn't until soul embrace i think was the one for you yeah because i was very much like I, I keep finding bands and i'm like well the melodic side i was like it had to be singing that was the melodic half i wanted the singing and screaming because i could i could do like completely you know super hard and heavy music but i needed the singing still and something about soul embraced with my tourniquet like scratch that itch somehow even though it was like completely the opposite of any kind of clean vocal 
you know, on there. But it's like drawing black lines had gotten me used to this more, you know, from researching other bands and hearing stuff and getting close to it. But all these other bands didn't have like as smooth of music as well as, you know, the vocals. And Soul Embrace just kind of like flipped that on its head for me. Yeah, and it's interesting though, for a while, now that I'm getting older, I like am a little bit more nostalgic for some of the old stuff. Yeah. But Drawing Black Lines has essentially been in my rotation the entire time. Like since I first heard it, I would listen to that record so much. I remember one time going to visit somebody in Kansas City, which is like a five hour drive from where I'm at. And my parents were driving and I literally just sat there in the car for five hours listening to Drawing Black Lines over and over and over and over again. And at one point, my dad did ask me if I wanted to put my CD in the CD player. And that lasted about 38 seconds into Stein's theme. <laughs> and then I was like, nope, we're not doing this. <laughs> and then they were like, yeah, no, sorry, not going to happen. Like, not, e not even at all. Yeah, I used to sit there playing whatever video game and blasting Project 86 on my little stereo, you know, my room over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got that quality. And I think that I also like how the record in a certain way with 23 just the it's like the record's just refusing to end yeah it just you, you destroys know, itself at the end it does it's it's fantastic and like i could never get over that because it was like this is a record that straight up won't quit <laughs> you know but yeah i think that like mentally it solidified the idea of like let's keep going because i remember my brother and i used to drive around town listening to whatever was on the local alternative rock station and back then when new metal was popular so like i remember my brother and i would listen to the dracula 2000 soundtrack on the way to school every day that was before that was before buddy just drove me to school every day and we just listened to drawing black lines and truthless heroes every morning but he would listen to like Dracula 2000, Queen of the Damned. And my brother is like not really like a metal fan. I think he can appreciate a song or two here or there, but he, he wasn't like all about it. And I remember we had a summer. And like I said, if this was a Demon Hunter episode, I'd say it was the summer of darkness. But <laughs> it was actually just started listening to heavier music, almost like sort of under the nose of everybody else. Like, it was like a two-way communication between me and Buddy. We were the only people that knew what the other one was into, <laughs> you know, and, and checking out. And we swap bands back and forth. And re that really hasn't changed much. It hasn't. I mean, we still are like, yeah. dude, listen to this. Except, I mean, we used to be really stupid about it, right? Because you'd spend, you know, 10 minutes downloading a 30-second clip or, if you got lucky, a full song. And what'd we do? We'd call each other up on the phone and we'd <laughs> blast our computer speakers and go, listen to this, man and put the yeah. cell phone up to the speaker like we could even we, we constantly did that neither of us could even like say that we can't really hear it <laughs> i mean yeah we'd humor the other one and be like yeah man it sounds really like, really loud and brutal you know yeah or, or whatever until we heard it the next day when we would inevitably see each other and then actually listen to it together yeah and you know a lot of this stuff was really hard to find too because like i remember when you had you gave me that burn copy of drawing black lines and i was like all right i really want to buy this record you know with mm -hmm. whatever money i have scraped together how are we going to do that and i remember we went to like three or four different cd stores that didn't have it yeah but then like best buy had it randomly know? yeah and so that that also contributed to the feeling of it being like a diamond in the rough type of situation of like well, where can I get Project 86 drawing black lines? Hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, and, like, you, you almost, like, took pleasure in the fact that they didn't know who you were talking about. Yeah, because it's A, it was Christian. B, it was Christian-like heavy music. 
and C, it was a Christian heavy music album that was not popular. So like we're trying to dig down deep into this. I wonder if it's because I know that it got re-released. It got released twice. There was a BEC label recording and then there was an Atlantic recording because they got signed to Atlantic and then it got pulled back. And I don't remember which copy I had because I know I had two copies because I, I wore the crap out of mine. And I think Sad Machines and the Toast to Our Former Self stopped working, which made me upset because those are two of my favorites on the, on the record. Yeah, because it, I mean, it took forever to pirate music back then. We weren't downloading entire albums at that time. So it was just like, you know, how am I supposed to like quantify this? You know, I mean, there were times, dude, where I had like to download a single song, even if it was like a legal song, like on a like mp3.com or something. I remember downloading an mp3 and like going outside and hanging out with my buddies for like 30 or 40 minutes and then coming back in and it's still like 48%. You know, it was just that that part of it was just absolutely wild for me. Yeah, it took forever. And because of that, you know, you would hear one song that you were like, oh, this is amazing. And then you said, okay, I'm going to go spend 17 bucks on this album, even though you've only heard one track. Whereas, you know, nowadays people would think that's insane. You know, you want to hear half the album or the whole album, you know, before you actually plunk money down on it. Yeah, you were really rolling the dice on that one. Thankfully, in the case of Drawing Black Lines, we were pretty much good to go. And I did get to hear the entire album before I before I bought it. You know, something I mentioned a little bit earlier that I kind of want to get into again is the the whole misheard lyrics thing. So you guys may not know this, but Buddy and I used to play in a Christian hard rock band around this time because naturally guys that were this nuts about music, we had to start our own band, you know. Mm -hmm. And actually Buddy had had a band called Jelly Donut prior to him and I becoming friends. And make no mistake, I did not know how to play. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't either. I didn't know how to sing. For as much as we're like, it's got to have melodic vocals, I couldn't do melodic vocals to save my life. <laughs> uh, or, or scream vocals that year. So, like, it was definitely rough. And I remember how we would just, like, we didn't try to cover Project 86 songs because, again, we, we had no idea how to play or how to recreate those sounds. But I remember one time I was like singing into the microphone because that was my favorite thing to do was talk into the microphone, go figure. And I remember just being all like dated something, dated something, dated something wrong. And Buddy was like, wait, do you actually think that's what the lyrics are to that song? And I was like, what? He's like, it's needing something real. <laughs> and I was like, well, I didn't think it was actually him saying dated something wrong, but I, I did think that he was saying like, they did something wrong. They did something wrong. He's like, no, he's not saying wrong at all. He's saying he's saying real, needing something real. And I was like, oh, oh, my bad. Because <laughs> I've been I've been singing it like that. I do remember. Yeah, a lot of misheard lyrics. But thankfully, you know, we had the lyric book to kind of like clear that stuff up because then we're like, pop it open and go, well, what what did what did he say? Oh, no, <laughs> we didn't have the lyric book in the traditional sense. Yes, there was a book. Yes, there were lyrics. They were all written in cursive and like impossible to read. Like I, yeah, it was like intentionally vague in a way that would make your youth leader, you know, that was not sure about this band you're listening to. It would make even make him sweat because I'd be like, yeah, here's the lyrics right here. And they'd like struggle with it, you know, for a little while. And then it would handed it back to me and be like, oh, I guess it's okay. You know, I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. And yeah, so I never really bothered with the lyrics on this record as much, or I just went with what I heard. But like Schwab also had like a weird enunciation on a lot of his words 
to where like real and wrong sounded the same. Even in some of the clean vocals, like, I mean, we, until I had the CD in my hand and I saw the song title play on, I thought it was prey on because I didn't know <laughs> anything about what makes music cool back then. So I just assumed they were saying prey on because they were a Christian band. So it was definitely play on. A Toast to My Former Self has a couple of really good ones. And I want to see if I can get the lyrics on that song because there's a song. I'm, I'm actually going to pull it up here because I can do that. The internet's so different than it used to be. Oh, for real. It's funny you have all these memories of like misheard lyrics because I never like really paid attention to the lyrics at all. Right. Uh, yeah. Like I, th- I think the only one that I misheard with you was On the Field You Rejected Me instead of yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, whatever the other one. I still you know don't even get that one right because i can't even remember what he actually says now understand i think is what it was what he's actually saying on a toast to my former self is i'm putting to death no remorse what's pushed inside that to this day still sounds he sounds like he's saying and in my techno remorse is what's inside (laughs) (laughs) i'm like i'm like what (laughs) but like if you go back and listen to that song you, you can't unhear it i might even i might even fade it in It just totally weirds me out because I, I like, I mean, I guess on some level I knew that wasn't what it was, but like the chorus of that song, he says, uh, it's the clean part. It goes, kill the day. He's like, kill the day and now feel, fill me, you know? Yeah, yeah. It definitely, to me, always, I always heard that as kill this kid. <laughs> now That's a very and, different. <laughs> yeah. Kill this kid and now feel me. So. That's a very different connotation. Anakin Skywalker should have read the lyrics, but like, it's wild. Just like how I've listened to this album that many times, and yet I still choose at this point to just hear it the way that I've always heard it. Because uh-huh. I couldn't, I couldn't recite the lyrics to this album to save my life. Like, I mean, yeah, like you hate us because we'll never go away, and like some sort of fungus at the end of Stein's theme. What is that guy yelling? Yeah, I don't even know. Apparently, it's and on and on. Oh, really? And on and on. Yeah, like just over and over and over again. It's wild. Oh, I always thought he was saying, I know. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's so mu- so many misheard lyrics. But then like you go into a song like Chimes, and it's all like super clear. Yeah, it's you know? very clear what he's saying. 23, probably the hardest to understand lyrics on the entire record, just because it's like there's so much distortion and crap sort of going on on that track that like there are lyrics to that song but i can't hear them like half the time like i know that vocals are being vocalized yeah i mean the only thing i ever hear i don't even i hear right left right left but i don't even know if that's actually in the actual lyrics let's find out shall we i'm not seeing that you see it's funny discovering lyrics with esp's dungeon actually what this is all about that's right. Everybody's going to be all like, oh, man, I thought this episode was going to be a personal story about how your dog died and you like you were a sad machine afterwards. I don't know. Maybe we'll do that someday. Let's see. Yeah, there's a whole set of lyrics for 23. Set out to find a love, to live a life, to stay awake and clean and pure and never allow the burdens and the excess of this place to harm you. Like It's like a full set of lyrics. I've never read this before. Yeah, and you can hear it like he's saying them, but it's, like, it's distorted like very heavily. Yeah. I'm pumping it in my ears right now, and I, I can't discern it. But sometimes you have to start. You have to, like, find a, the exact start at the beginning. 
to then be able to discern it going forward, which is kind of how, you know, we figured out how like Dan Wayne Zayo enunciates uh, right. by just following along with the lyric book at the start and then picking up where words get broke up and words get extended that you don't expect. Yeah. And it's weird because I've literally do not have this problem with Schwab's vocals or lyrics on any of the other albums. Yeah. Like even the self-titled, he's very clear like on all of it and on this yeah. one this one it was like almost like all, almost it had to have been an intentional choice to to make it a little bit more vague a little bit more mysterious because that's the whole thing about this record is it's very vague it's very mysterious the cover is just a whole bunch of different symbols and then there's like sort of smoke rising at the bottom i mean it's a it's a perfect like year 2000 heavy music release you know for for having it with having a cover like that I think what's really interesting, and this is probably be where we wrap it up, but what's interesting about drawing black lines on a personal level is how intimately tied to our friendship it was. Yeah. Like, I don't know if other people have that, like have that sort of like, in the absence of everything else, like you and I have lived in different states for a very long time now. Almost a decade now. Almost a decade we've, we've yeah. been like apart. But, like, in the absence of how much we've changed and gone in different directions on things, it's interesting how we can sort of always go back to this foundation. Yeah. You know, that, 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 you know, at the end of the day, we both listen to Drawing Black Lines and we both feel the same way about it. We both put this record on and we still can just look at each other and go, you know what? This is fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Like, it really is. And, you know, not to be, like, mushy or feel like we have to shoehorn mushiness, you know, into every episode. But, like, that that really, I think, is a lot of the reason. Because we sort of talked about, like, oh, yeah, this has always still been in my rotation. This has always still been my thing, right? I think in a lot of ways, it's it's us. Yeah. If I stop listening to Drawing Black Lines, there's almost, like, some sort of weird disconnect you know that that's there where like i feel like if we weren't still friends or we had grown apart as your friend moves away to another state maybe it doesn't have to be the end of your friendship but it's the end of your friendship like as it was before yeah but you know and i mean i think that's true to a certain degree but and we've you know we've changed and adapted to it but stayed the same level of connectedness right that, that same onslaught you know that you're gonna have on drawing black lines that that same tenacity i mean because we put this album on and you know people hear the lyrics people hear you know the the crazy awesome guitars but you know what do you what do we picture you know we picture hanging out playing chess at a coffee shop sitting in each other's houses playing chrono trigger and whatever video game like walking around you know with a cd walkman around your neighborhood and talking music you know for hours like it's a real nostalgia trip you know like we actually have our entire friendship wrapped up at the start of this album because yeah. it came out basically when we met and that is what gives it for us you know i know for me it's long lasting credibility because it harkens back to a time when the only thing that there was to worry about was your grades and what does Dan think of this new track? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I'll still do that. Like, I'll still throw something your way or, you know, just be like, what do you think about this? Oh, dude, you've never heard anything as heavy as this. Like, we still have <laughs> yeah, we still have those conversations. And that's one thing I like about our Discord server is that, like, you know, I feel like that Discord server is really shaping up to be like an, like an extension of that. Yeah. 
you know, and like we've sort of just brought more people into the fold, you know, as in, yeah. we we literally have an entire section that's essentially like listen to this. You yeah. know, what and, are you listening to is just yeah, listen to this, dude. <laughs> yeah, like I there's days where I almost feel like the podcast itself is just like secondary, you know, to like the, sort of the conversations we have in there and the stuff that we do in there and just like 23 at the end of Drawing Black Lines, it just refuses to quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it refuses to be over, you know, just so that you don't feel that way about this podcast episode. I'm going to end it and just say, buddy, you know, thanks, man, for talking about Drawing Black Lines with me. I mean, I know we've done it tons of times before, but this is the, I guess this is like the official conversation. The official about... conversation. <laughs> Technical difficulties galore aside, like, I'm glad we were able to sit down and, you know, dish out about how we used to hang out and how this album kind of was the glue that started our friendship. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of DFT's Dungeon. I just want to thank Buddy again for coming on and talking about drawing black lines with me as if he even needed a reason. And I know this is just such a fun conversation to have because it's one that we've had in private so many times and although it may be weird to think about an album keeping a friendship together i thought it was really interesting and really cool and uh guys if you think this podcast is interesting or cool tell your friends about it share it on social media we can be found on social media at facebook.com slash dft's dungeon or on instagram at dft dungeon i'm also on twitter at dft 9000 and uh, yeah, just make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. I do have a Patreon. There'll be a link to that in the show notes of this episode. If you want to support the podcast that way, that would be awesome. And uh, thank you guys so much for the support that I've gotten so far. We are halfway through season one, and I cannot wait to give you guys the next 10 episodes. I will see you next week. I'm back, baby. Oh, yeah. That's why you were gone. <laughs> I realized you were still recording, so I said, Daniel Terry's a bozo. <laughs> That's right. You know it's true. I might I might grab those and throw them in at the end. Oh, man, that'll be so freaking funny. Definitely, definitely the pee break of, yeah, I'm just going to pee at the normal speed. <laughs> I'm just going to pee at the normal speed. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, uh, I, I said something like, there's a secret that none of you know. Daniel Terry's. A bozo. That's right. <laughs> bozo the clown, baby. Uh, that's All funny. Right, what, okay. were we, what were we talking about? Uh, uh, drawing black gosh. lines or something? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs>